In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Saroja Coelho, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. I want to tell you a story about two comedians in New York City. Aaron Jackson and Josh Sharp were best friends. They were both broke, and they were doing improv shows in a tiny theater beneath a grocery store. For years, their most popular show was a spoof of The Parent Trap. So you might know that movie where the estranged twins try to get their parents back together. Lots of antics along the way. Yeah, so... Aaron and Josh wrote this really raunchy, bizarre musical version of that. It had every curse word you could think of, jokes that would get any kid expelled from school. And honestly, Aaron and Josh never imagined that their weird show full of inside jokes would leave that tiny theater beneath the grocery store. But, well, life finds a way. The only thing I have from the dad I never knew is half of a locket. We must be brothers. Not just brothers, Trevor. Twins. Wow, we're twins. We're f***ing identical twins. If mom and dad got married again, then we'd have a real family. What if we trick them into getting back together? (gasps) The twins. So that's a clip of the most absurd movie of the year, Dick's the Musical. It's directed by Larry Charles, the same guy who did Borat and Bruno. It stars major Broadway musical talents like Nathan Lane and Megan Mullally and Megan Thee Stallion. Aaron Jackson and Josh Sharp also star in the movie. They're still not sure how they got away with it, and they were scratching their heads when Tom Power spoke to them. Here is their conversation. Aaron Jackson, hello. Hello, this is the voice of Aaron Jackson. Incredible job. Incredible theater job. Josh Sharp, welcome to the show. One, two, three, Josh Sharp. This is Josh Sharp, three, two, one. Actually, really good you did this because we did an interview with, frankly, Interview Magazine, which you'd think that'd be their job, but we recorded it and they they mistook us for each other most of the interview. Almost almost every quote was misattributed. That's because we're pros here in Canada. We're pros. It almost felt like they were doing a joke from the film where you can't keep track of who is who, but I don't know. But you're pros in Canada. You'd never do that. Congratulations on this film. I I absolutely loved it. There is a part of me that can't believe you convinced a studio to make it. <laughs> There's a part of us as well. I would say the the entirety of us, not even a part, the whole of us is has that same question. I mean, especially yeah. kind of, like, and I, please take this in the right way, especially like kind of like early on. It's not like you had done 30 films and you were like, all right, well, I want to do this one. I've always, okay, let, yeah. him, let him do it. Like for this what to be the- I was offended by that? It was like, you don't know how famous we are. We're <laughs> incredibly. No, we, we agree. Let's talk a little bit about, about where it came from. So before this was a film, it was a stage show. And Josh, you were improvisers in New York. You were working at um, UCB at the Upright Citizens Brigade. Do you remember coming up with the idea You know, it's funny because, yeah, we met doing improv and just had like comedy crushes on each other and we're best friends. And then we wanted to write a show. And it honestly came from the place of being like, 
With a two-man show, if you do the parent trap, you could be the kids and then one could play the dad while the other was the kid. Like all good art, it sort of came out of logistics. And then when you're playing in that world, you're like, okay, it's the parent trap, so we have to subvert it. So instead of cute little girls, what if they were horrible adult men? And then, oh, what instead of their parents being like lovely, idealized version of their parents that they never met, it's like, well, they should also be absurd and awful and foul and disgusting. So it's kind of like how we played with it, how it went to that. Larry Charles, our director in particular, I think had seen videos of the stage show and loved how like dangerous and kinetic it felt and wanted that to be true in the movie. So I do think there's a lot of fun stuff that if you just made it as a movie, you would have been like, don't do this. But because it was based on this other thing that was a weird little hit, you were able to go like, there's a way to translate this into a cinematic form, you know? No one understands what I've been through. No one knows what it's like to life saying these specific words the only one who understands is me when larry charles comes on board so larry charles for people who don't know is a filmmaker and director who's known for like seinfeld but sort of the later more absurd episodes of seinfeld like the very strange episodes of seinfeld and then borat so he's not really afraid of of having a lot of uh, criticism t- towards him <laughs> Um, That's a mild way to put it. Actually, but, was it, a very, but but it's an interesting choice here, you know. And when I saw when I saw that Larry Charles was there, in some ways, it it made sense because this is a film that could you know it could cause a lot of controversy, and this is someone who's not not afraid of it. Um, Aaron, what did Larry Charles want to know from you? The first second we met with him, he just absolutely loved it, a hundred percent got it and was just so protective of it. And so just wanted to push it even further. I always was saying if the movie doubts itself for one second, the audience is going to smell it. And we have to really like never shy away from it. And something he's really great at is understanding that like, yes, let's like not be afraid to do something controversial, but only if it feels incredibly funny that it's like yeah. not about doing something just to be like middle finger, this is controversial. It's like, if the idea is funny and it feels of the piece, you should not doubt it. You should go for it. And so then also like people have asked like, were there things that like you didn't feel like you could do in the movie? And absolutely they were, but they were mostly about just like making it work as a film that needed to be more three-dimensional and differently paced and needed the kind of like jokes that work in a film and not in a stage show. But there was very little discussion of like, you can't get away with this. It was always the opposite where it was like, if you believe in the joke, go for it. You know, and then I think so much of that controversial stuff in this piece, too, is like coming from a place of like joy and absurdism and silliness and not very mean spirited. So that's what he got, too, is I think he was like, you would maybe want to pull this stuff back if it felt like you were punching down or being mean. But you're doing it in such a cartoony, silly, goofy, campy way that he's like, go for it, go for it. I want to I want to come back to the idea of making a really silly, absurd movie in, in just a second. But Josh, I want to stay with you here because, you know, Megan Thee Stallion is in this film. But you had a unique challenge here that occurred to me while I was watching it, that Megan <laughs> Thee Stallion, in addition to being a very famous rapper, is also like a very skilled, lyrically rapper, one of the most like adept, skilled rappers yeah. in, in kind of in the world right now. And you were, in all, all jokes aside, you, you were tasked with writing <laughs> lyrics for for her that when I watched it felt authentic. Sit on your throne and just act like a queen and these boys will be dying to kiss the ring. Train them to beg like the dogs that they are and you'll find that it ain't no thing. The alpha for the alpha. Like it didn't feel. Oh my God. But you know what I mean? It didn't feel like it was she was making a joke out of herself. So how did you approach writing for Megan Thee Stallion? 
Well, luckily, I think we do both like her and our fans. And so like had an awareness of her material and just like appreciated it. But there definitely was a different version of that song before we had someone cast that was much more of sort of like a cabaret song. And then when we got her against all odds, we were like, well, we have to rewrite it as a Megan song. And so some of those lyrics were coming from the place of being like knowing what she was capable of, where it's like, oh, sh- there's a whole second verse that became new. But and it was like, let's let her spit fast, you know, yeah. but at the same time having it not feel like it's like outside of the piece. So it has a lot of the same like dumb, crass, you know, goofy silliness of the rest of the song, but it's just sort of like in using the tools that she has to the point that she even came in on the first day when she met her and was like, you know, people say I'm dirty, but y'all are dirty. And so (laughs) I think she appreciated that she was like, y'all are going there with this movie, but you've also written a thing that uh, that is perfectly in my wheelhouse how did you get it to her did you write did you give it to her like in a text document or did you like how did you get it to her we wrote it and then josh sang the song into an iphone and that we thought was going to go to her producer which is uh, which it did and then it also went to her <laughs> we, for sure they were like it's just for her manager so they get vibes then yeah. they'll give her the lyrics she'll rewrite it or whatever nope they they played it for her and she made some changes to put it in her mouth but she just wrapped all of those yeah. words what? but i if they had said like you're rapping this and she's gonna hear it i probably would have been like i refuse no yeah we're gonna have we an AI like, we'll hire yeah we'll hire someone yeah <laughs> i like the idea that there's an alternate version of the song that out there one yeah. day aaron and i oh, will release God. our version because we're both um off We're book on that track. Extremely off book. We're underrated um, raptresses. <laughs> yeah. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you get your podcasts. Um, in, early on in the in the film, it's, it's really quickly established that you two play straight men who kind of brag about masculine stereotypes, sleeping with as many women as possible, you know, being a shark at work, being super ambitious. And I've heard you guys call this um, straight man drag. Aaron, can you talk yes. to me a little bit about that? Um, yes, the way a, a sort of drag queen, and not to blanket all drag queens, but a way that most drag queens are performing femininity, but not with the intent for it to be realistic. It's a heightened version of femininity um, for the stage uh, or for whatever medium they choose. So we are sort of doing heightened masculinity, heightened straight men. This is not meant to be... Um, believable we are sort of um heightening it and expressing it through taking it to extremes so that you push the super ambitious and you push the misogyny and you push the like uh you know the the don juan the the ladies man you you push all of these 
things to their extremes to make fun of and and embrace and celebrate even <laughs> that type of person. Is that it's fun? definitely more Hanna Barbera than Stanislavski when you're looking at the <laughs> type of acting we're doing. Is that and it's brave as the film notes because a lot of yes, straight men have played queer brave. for Oscars, so we're doing it the other way around, and we expect <laughs> as many Oscars. Yeah. Well, that that was one of the things at the very beginning that I, I really did appreciate, sort of like the the acknowledging that like there's a way that these stories are usually told which involve words like brave and and mm-hmm. important and it reminded me of a conversation i had with um with Emma Seligman, who is, you know who made that film bottoms i don't know if you saw bottoms. that film yeah. we, Love. We, really incredible film and when i we had this conversation in our office and i told her about it and i wanted to i wanted to run it by you when we found out there was a film about a queer fight club we talked about it a lot in our office and some of the queer members of our team felt like sad about it. And I asked them to tell me a little bit about it. And they said, well, I just, we just knew it was going to be some sad, important, trauma laden film. And when I got to see it, I saw that it was this, this silly romp and it was, I had such a great time, absurd, horny romp. And it was really, really funny. (laughs) And then I think with, with Dick's the musical, it was the same sort of feeling like, okay, well, there's a musical coming out. What is, oh, is it, you know, is it going to be sad? Is it going to be traumatic? Is it going to be brave? Is it going to be important? But it's raunchy. It's incredibly absurd. It's incredibly silly. I just don't know if you can speak to that around that either like the importance of their there being films like this or the expectation that films are a certain way and then films come out like this do you know what i mean totally totally like you said a lot of gay stories are either like trauma porn or they're very like focused on coming out and that experience and it's like and once a gay person comes out it's like we're not interested in their story anymore we just need to hear the struggle and they really do almost feel or they're like Brokeback Mountain, like these horrible tragedies, you know, that it, it's like, be, isn't being gay so sad? Or isn't it like so angsty? And I love a lot of those movies, like truly do love them. But that's not the stories we want to tell or are interested in telling. That's not our point of view. So and the, these kind of crazy, wacky comedies have sort of been the domain of, of straight people for a long time and even straight men, because. I think Bridesmaids was, everyone's like, wow, women can be funny. I mean, which is so hilarious, but like all these Austin Powers, Zoolander, all the- Which we also love. Yeah. Love, love, love. But they're just from that POV. So this is just, I think Bottoms and our movie Dicks is just, it's like, what about one of those movies, but just from a queer POV? And it doesn't mean it's only for queer people, just like those movies aren't only for straight men. Like, Women, gay people love them. It's just, it's just the POV, and I think they're, you know, I would never say important. I just think people are excited to see these kind of movies because we, I just think that kind of perspective hasn't been shown in that way, like in a movie that's released in theaters. Like I don't think it's extremely common. Um, so I, I think it's it just kind of feels a little fresh, maybe. And one other thing we've talked about before is like, yeah, like a lot of these things I love are sort of like gay didactic. They're like teaching you something about being gay. And we're like, this film doesn't aim to teach you a single thing about no. being gay. <laughs> and thus is much more about POV and perspective. And it's like, this is what we think is funny. And even under the umbrella of like queer sensibility, I don't think at all that our film has a broad queer sensibility. It is stuff that makes the two of us laugh. Right. And it's like, there are obviously all these other people now who either like came onto the project because they shared with or identified or enjoyed that sensibility, but it comes from a place of spec- queer specificity more than it does mm. of either 
a broad picture of what the LGBTQIA plus experience is like, or even an attempt to represent any aspect of that experience. It's just right. like, this is just gay, crazy gay jokes, you know? Yeah. yeah. And you're right. And like when I watched Austin Powers or like when I watched, I don't know. Yeah. Say Austin Powers. I didn't think to myself, oh, this is a broad representation of what straight people find funny. No, yeah. exactly. Not at all. Like, also, and- same with, sorry, I mean, this is so quick. Same with like gross out comedies too. It's funny that a lot of those, like something about Mary's, like these big gross out comedies, which I love are, are very straight. And it's like, John Waters was doing that, you know, yes. but it never really got to be big enough to be like, what if queer people were also like, let's be gross gay villains, you know, that it's, it's, it is fun sometimes. And and for us, at least for Aaron and I'll speak like to be like, as a queer person, I want to play these big, crazy, goofy cartoon characters and not just be relegated to some of these roles that are more about those archetypes that Aaron referenced. And they would go to straight people anyway. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> who would, who would then win Oscars? The, yeah, exactly. the, the, um, there were moments that, and I, I, I feel like I'm pretty transgressive. I know I'm wearing a button up shirt, but I feel like I'm pretty. <laughs> Me too. I know. I feel like I'm, I know I have, I know I look like Colin. Let the radio audience know I have on a t-shirt. I'm a punk. <laughs> yeah. through. I know I look like Al Borland and Colin Hanks, but like, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I, I I don't normally get shocked by things. And there were moments in this joke in this show where I was like, I can't believe they made that joke. I can't believe they did it. And then I was Isn't it fun though? I, I love that feeling. It's a wonderful feeling. And I was so I was doing research for this, and one of the things I read, Josh, was that you can get away with even more boundary pushing jokes because it's in the idea of a musical and, and choreography. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think so. One, it's because you you immediately break the fourth wall and you immediately know this is not real. In fact, the first joke is we're twins. And then you say they don't look anything alike. They're clearly not twins. You know, so I do think the the full uh, suspension of relief um, of reality, I mean, that like a musical like insists you have does make it feel like you can just sort of do whatever. Again, it means you have a little bit of that like Hanna-Barbera Looney Tunes logic where you're just like, the rules of this piece are insular. And so you you really can like go for it if you want to go for it. But I think the songs give it a little bit of heart, even though the songs are yes. not heartfelt, but they give it a little, they give you that music is like, you know, the caveman responds to music. It, it just like gets into your system of like I feel feelings because I I am hearing strings or I'm hearing horns like the music is swelling it is taking me my body somewhere one little thing on that like case in point there's this ballad in the middle of the movie that Nathan Lane and Megan Mullally sing that has a few jokes in it but really is sort of like a sentimental like beautiful stirring song about being lonely I'm lonely I'm lonely I'm lonely I'm lonely I'm lonely I'm lonely being lonely <laughs> and there are jokes in it and it's it's also just absurd that these characters are singing this but it's mostly like a sort of a tearjerker and we've had so many people be like i can't believe in the middle of dicks the musical i cried a little and to us we're like one that's like why these things like this work and why musicals are great but two i'm like also isn't that sort of a joke like isn't yeah. it sort of funny that we got you in the middle of this movie you know so i think like musicals just give you such a, a playbook that you don't always get in most comedies, particularly if you're aiming to be just like absurd and silly and 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 big. It's hard to imagine that you two haven't always worked together, given the <laughs> the work that you do. Like, is is this a continuing 
is this a dangerous question? Is this a continuing partnership after <laughs> yeah, we announce our breakup no. live on air? Yeah, no. <laughs> on no. Canadian public radio? <laughs> absolutely is. It's so funny. I mean, again, we've like been dear friends for over a decade and also have been working on this thing for nearly as long. So mm-hmm. I think um, so much of this piece in particular comes out of this longstanding relationship. And then I think so much of the work we want to continue doing comes out of of like an intense familiarity and joy and love of each other. Um, it's I, I've never seen anything like it, and I really mean it. I've really never seen anything like this this film before. Congratulations <laughs> yeah. to the two of you on, on on getting it out, and congratulations to the two of you on Thank making it. It's, it's it's so great. Uh, thanks for making. And just it to fun. say real quick, we loved premiering in Toronto, and the oh Canadian audience was so fun. So it's like oh. been a blast to talk to you, and I'm so happy it's in theaters up there. Thank you. Thank Have you. a great day. That was Aaron Jackson and Josh Sharp, comedians and friends. They are also the creators and stars of Dicks, the musical in theaters now. That's it for this episode of Q, the podcast. We released another episode today, Tom's conversation with Majid Jordan. You're going to get to hear tracks from their new album, Good People. It's kind of a sonic homecoming for them after 10 years of making art together. They're also going to talk about making music in a time of chaos and how it can return you to a place of humanity. It's a really beautiful conversation. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.